All the Things You Prayed For Chapter 41 Cold Snap Falco climbs down the roof stairs and past the helipad briskly, deliberately not slowing down or looking back. It's cold outside the warm circle of Kravitz's arms, but nope, Taco's not thinking about that right now. It's kind of a dick move to leave Kravitz up on the roof, but Kravitz was a dick first, not telling Taco about their history, so really, this is fair, but that doesn't help the fact that Taco's still shivering a little when he goes inside. He keeps walking. He's maybe waiting for Kravitz to scramble down after Taco and try to explain himself, but Taco is in no mood to listen to explanations. Maybe in a couple of weeks, maybe in a month, but right now he doesn't want to look at Kravitz's stupid, handsome face. Taco marches past the bar where he got Kravitz drunk and definitely doesn't think about the way drunk Kravitz's face was so soft the way that expression is familiar now that he's seen it before and he hates that he wants to go back outside and tell Kravitz, sorry about that, baby, now let's get back to- Nope, not thinking about that right now. These might be nicer memories than his usual horrible winter soldier murder flashbacks, but they're all so complicated when silhouetted against Taco's current knowledge of Kravitz, Loop's hot friend, Avenger super spy. Taco's maybe could have been something, except apparently they were already something. Taco isn't sure how to feel about any of this, but he definitely doesn't feel good. He clatters down the stairs and wrenches the door to the apartment. Kravitz can't come in here without an invitation. Open. Kravitz is the worst and I hate him, Taco announces to the room at large. Barry and Loop turn from where they're watching something on the projector screen to stare at him. A can slips out of Barry's hand and falls to the floor, spilling beer on the floor. Oh shit, sorry, Barry yelps, and then immediately bends down to try and clean it up, taking off the hoodie he's wearing to try and mop up the spill. Taco takes a brief moment away from the indignancy to contemplate how Barry is the least billionaire-like billionaire in the entirety of existence. Slow down a second, T, Loop says, still looking at Taco, getting up and crossing the room to where the paper towels are. What happened? Kravitz kissed me, Taco says, funneling as much outrage as he can into his voice. He walks over to Loop, gesticulating. He kissed me without telling me stuff. Loop's brow furrows. Isn't that pretty much how kissing works? No! Ugh! Taco says, scowling and opening the freezer, because he wants to complain, and he wants ice cream, and for Luke to take him seriously, because this is a crisis. I mean, like, Kravitz knew me? Did you know Kravitz knew me? Like, knew Soldier Taco. Well, yeah, T. You're kind of an icon in the spy industry, apparently, Loop says. No, Taco says, pulling out one of the ice cream bars that are still hiding in the back of the freezer. I mean that Kravitz worked with the soldier. Hi, that's me, Taco, for like a while in the red 
room? Think it was the Red Room. Something Soviet. And, yep, okay, they were still calling it Leningrad, so definitely Soviet. But, yeah, Kravitz worked with Taco and also didn't just work with Taco. Had a whole fucking relationship with Taco and, like, I mean, kissed Taco and also fuck Taco. Taco, Loop cuts in. You're shouting and you squish the ice cream. Taco shuts his mouth and looks down at his metal hand, which is a clenched fist with ice cream appending it, about to fall on the floor. Oh. Oh, dunk. He opens his hand and moves it upwards. Gross, no, don't! Loop begins, but it's too late. Taco licks ice cream off his metal fingers and palm. He's earned this. He's having emotional trauma right now. He deserves to eat his squished ice cream. Loop looks very concerned. So, okay, if I'm hearing you correctly, Kravitz used to know you, and he never mentioned it. At least not to you, and not to me, and not to anyone else who could have told you. It wasn't knowing each other, Loop. It was a fucking relationship, Taco says. Ice cream drips from his hand onto the floor. Hey, uh, Barry cuts in. I'm gonna go. I cleaned up the spill, and I'm not sure this is exactly... He trails off, looking supremely uncomfortable. Loop walks over to him and gives him a kiss on the cheek and a brief hug. I'll catch up with you later, babe. Rain check on date night? Rain check on date night. Barry confirms, sounding supremely relieved. Um, good luck sorting everything out. Let me know. Yeah. Sorry about ruining your date, Taco says, a little sheepish. He didn't mean to ruin Lupin Barry's nice movie-watching wholesome date situation. It's fine, Barry says, backing out of the conversation while physically backing out of the room. Good luck. Loop blows him a kiss on the way out, and Barry grins awkwardly before leaving. They're a really cute couple. Not that Taco's ever going to tell Loop that. The sort of relationship that seems rock solid, not like, nope, Taco's not thinking about that now. Except for the fact that he needs to tell Loop all about how Kravitz is terrible, and Taco feels very weird about all of it. And he's pretty sure having more memories wouldn't help with this, actually. Pretty sure this is an entirely new situation for Taco to deal with. Okay, Loop says, handing him a damp dish towel that she presumably got while he was thinking. Explain things to me in order this time. Can I have another ice cream first? Taco asks, wiping his hand down and sitting at their kitchen table. Loop rolls her eyes and opens the freezer to pull out two more ice cream sandwiches, tossing one at Taco, who catches it, and begins to unwrap it. Don't squish that one. Loop says, and clean up the floor later. Yeah, yeah, Taco says, and then frowns. He isn't sure where to start with any of the situation. Kravitz kissed you, Loop prompts. Taco nods. Kravitz kissed me, he confirms. 
but he forgot to tell me before he kissed me, and I guess this isn't even really about the kiss? Like, he should have said something way before either way. Fuck, he should have told you. T, you're getting off track again. Oh, Taco says and frowns. Maybe I should just tell you from the beginning. The first time the soldier meets Kravitz, he dismisses the man. A handsome reaper, walking into the office, spine ramrod straight, saying yes to the chairman. Nothing interesting about him at all, other than his looks, which are, admittedly, top tier. Big, dark eyes, high cheekbones, plush lips, and the soldier can see the muscle underneath the lines of his uniform. Sure, most of the reapers have a lovely physique, but there's something elegant about this one. The reaper keeps stealing glances, too, looking at the soldier when the reaper thinks he isn't watching. The soldier thinks the man might make a nice distraction. He's pretty sure the handlers and technicians won't be mad about playing a little hooky, playing a little... Soldier, are you paying attention? The reaper asks, frowning at him. The soldier blinks. Yes, he lies. I know our cover, darling. Soldier. The soldier laughs at him. Don't be so worried. You're going out with the best. That's me. I'd appreciate it if you took things more seriously, the reaper says, but it's more like size. That's more emotion than reapers usually show. The soldier thinks it might be fun to throw handsome boy off balance. I'll take things seriously when we're in the field, the soldier says, unlocking his side of the car door. Come on, lover. Let's go do our jobs. The hotel is a very fancy, which is nice because the soldier likes the jobs where he's in a nice suit more than he likes the ones where he's in tack gear. More interesting, more talking to people. He can't much remember the specifics of any of his missions, but that's what he feels like he would like. He wishes he didn't have to babysit, but at least if he's babysitting, it's a handsome man. Reaper kisses him back. This is what surprises the soldier the first time. That his kiss isn't just accepted, but returned. It's why it's not usually fun to play with the Reapers. There's no interest beyond the general pleasure of having a body touching another. This Reaper mumbles into his mouth, like he's nervous about the kiss, even though all Reapers have standard training. He presses just a little too long against the soldier's lips, and the soldier feels a thrum of interest in his chest. This one could be fun. His suspicions are confirmed. That's all there is to say on the matter. Taco! I don't want you to go into any more detail! I wasn't going to! The Winter Soldier is the pride of the Red Room. The Winter Soldier knows he's the pride of the Red Room. They tell him that constantly. It's great for the ego. He's unfrozen at intervals, and he pretends it never hurts because he knows who he is. He knows what he means, and he understands what he was created for. They tell him that he's the steel fist of the USSR, the bullet in the dissident's brain, the ghost story for ghost stories. 
he's too important to be kept out all of the time. His skills are too important to allow to degrade. Winter Soldier believes all this. He knows no other life. He has no past. He exists only in the present through which he is the instrument that creates the future. He's not supposed to have attachments. None of them are, and even if the soldier is afforded certain indiscretions, there are lines that even he can't cross. Sex doesn't matter. That's just skin against skin. That's simple physical release. Seeking Kravitz out in the cafeteria? Sparring with him repeatedly. Asking for him on missions. The soldier thinks about the issue late at night, staring at the ceiling while he lies on his thin mattress. He wants to spend more time with Bones. He needs to start justifying it. Kravitz is the Star Reaper, but he's T&I. Not much other training, so a good excuse might be cross-training. Cross-training along with the soldier's own arrogance, only wanting to work with the best. That might work. And hopefully, by the time that stops working, it's been long enough that no one questions the fact that the soldier seeks him out. If the soldier makes him better, then no one can argue with the results. And in between, they'll have plenty of time for extracurricular activities. The soldier's life is mostly long nights. Strange men who die by his hand. He takes every chance for something nice that he can get. The soldier is enjoying the party. It's all little, twinkly lights, strung up, well-lit ballrooms, men in fancy suits and women in fancier dresses, and there's only one murder he's supposed to do later tonight. So until that moment, he's free to wander around with bones, make chit-chat, dance a little drink, and he'll watch Kravitz take a man apart. And after Kravitz is done, the soldier will step in and do what he does best. But until then... Little caviar-topped bellinis and champagne. The soldier snags a little snack from a passing waiter before picking up two glasses from a different server. He crosses the ballroom to the balcony, nodding and smiling, carrying two drinks because his boy didn't pick one up, and it's a nice party. They have fancy alcohol, and the soldier wants Bones to have a nice time. He looks so handsome, silhouetted against the night sky. The soldier saunters up to him and offers him the drink. Gravitz turns to him. He looks sad. The soldier wonders why. There's nothing to be sad about. This is an easy mission, with lots of little luxuries. Plenty of time to get up to some recreational activity. The soldier wants his boy to enjoy himself. Maybe he needs a reminder. The soldier leans forward, presses a kiss to Kravitz's lips, and it's lovely for a moment. The soldier sometimes wonders how he ever thought he could get tired of this. Kravitz pulls back, though, breaking the kiss. He looks even sadder, which was definitely not the soldier's intention. He puts a hand on the soldier's shoulder. The soldier is gripped by a sudden worry. What are you doing? Kravitz asks. The soldier doesn't know what Kravitz is talking about. Well, handsome, I'm trying to put a smile on your face. This mission didn't need both of us, Kravitz says. The soldier freezes, stares at Kravitz for a long moment. Kravitz is right. The soldier could have handled it on his own. But then there would have been no one to bring champagne to. 
no one to teach how to dance in the low morning light, no one to show the safe house and x-ray records and music, no one to step into the shower with. There would have been no one to kiss, no one to press against in slumber, no one to stare at through the frame of French doors while thinking, oh, he's mine, even if that thought is only true in the soldier's head. He can't tell Kravitz any of this. He doesn't think Kravitz would understand. No, it didn't, the soldier confirms. This is a milk run. Kravitz's face falls, the most minute shift of his facial expression. Why am I here? He asks. I asked, the soldier deflects. Come on, Bones. Anyone ever show you a good time? Inter-asset relationships are prohibited, Kravitz says, as if he's reciting from the handbook. He must know the whole thing by heart. The soldier looks down, twirls his hair between his fingers, a habit he's picked up in the past months. This isn't a relationship, he says. He supposes it isn't anyway, not in the traditional sense. There won't be any wedding for them, no babies, no gravestones next to each other. There's just the next mission, and the space in between. How to explain, though, that the soldier wants all the space in between, is greedy for it, and it scares him because the soldier isn't accustomed to want, or more specifically, isn't accustomed to caring. So, I'm your reward for good behavior, Kravitz says in an even tone. Of course, a reaper would jump to that conclusion. Or perhaps he's just saying what he knows he should be saying. The soldier can't ask, not without exposing everything, leaving them open to scrutiny. He pinches Kravitz's stomach in reprimand, anyway. Don't read too much into it, he says, in hopes that Bones can read between the lines. Even if he can't, the soldier will show him what he means in the future. Kravitz must know that he doesn't bring champagne for just any reaper. Hey, I think the target's moving. The soldier doesn't mind the work. He's good at it. And he likes being good at things, likes knowing that he's doing the jobs that he alone can carry out. Only hours, sitting at a sniper's perch, waiting for the perfect, impossible shot, infiltrating foreign delegations and scanning their documents into his photographic memory, appearing in government figures' offices and scaring the shit out of them. He's given a lot of leeway. He travels all over Europe and once or twice to Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. He's never sent to America, though which he supposes is because the Red Room is saving him for a later point in this conflict, when they've graduated from stealing information outright to assassination. Or perhaps it's that there's enough work to keep even him busy elsewhere. It's the longest he's been awake that he can remember, not that he can remember much. His lack of memory doesn't bother him. There's no point to most memories— the past is the past, and perhaps if he remembered it, he would know what he was missing, but because he doesn't remember, he doesn't care. He keeps the important parts between freezings, his skills, his wit. But the idea of forgetting Kravitz leaves a sour taste in his mouth. Sometimes in the dead of night, when the soldier is awake and Kravitz is asleep, the soldier will run a soft hand down the line of Kravitz's back and wonder if they've met before and the soldier has been made to forget.
What about this one? Gravitz whispers, leaning over to the soldier. It's a love story, I think, the soldier whispers back. On the screen, the movie flickers to life. The cinema is nearly empty. It's late morning on a weekday, when most civilians are at work. The only other people in the theater are students playing hooky. The soldier feels content, having raised the armrest between him and Kravitz to arrange Kravitz's arm around him to his liking. Kravitz indulges him, scooting closer so the soldier can lean against him. It's nice. Very warm and cozy. And the soldier gets to watch a movie also. Plus, he has easy access to the pocket where Kravitz keeps his cigarettes and lighter. On the screen, they're introduced to the protagonist in the desert amongst the company of her soldiers. She's a sniper. The film version of a sniper, at least. The soldier can name at least 15 details they got wrong in the way she carries her rifle. But she's pretty, and it's interesting to watch her. The desert looks very warm. The soldier misses warm weather. He snuggles a little closer to Gravitz. Hot boy. Substitute for hot weather. Are you cold? Gravitz whispers. The soldier shakes his head and says, Shh. They're supposed to be watching a movie, and the soldier wants to pay attention. He likes movies. He's always liked movies, he thinks. There's something nice about being in a dark room, watching someone else's story. No pressure to be trying to figure out where they're headed next or how best to murder them, just drifting along for the ride as Maria clashes with Otrek, and the soldier just knows they're going to get together. That's how these things always go. Soldiers and spies, Kravitz whispers. Are you trying to tell me something? The soldier elbows him. Kravitz chuckles. The movie plays on. Maria and Otrok are stranded on an island. Despite everything, they begin to fall for one another, and then the previous conflict between them, the war that they were on opposite sides on, no longer seems relevant. It's sweet to watch. Told you it was a love story, the soldier whispers. Kravitz nods against the soldier's hair. On screen, it looks like the couple is being rescued, except uniforms aren't men. Maria's rifle, a shot in Otrek's back. The soldier stiffens. Maybe this isn't a love story at all. Otrek collapsing in the surf, Maria running to him, battered by waves, the credits rolling, the lights in the cinema re-illuminating. The soldier blinks in the light. That's kind of fucked up, he says. Had she killed him? He was her enemy, Kravitz points out. The soldier rolls his eyes and leans on Kravitz a little more heavily. Bones. Always the pragmatist. Well, of course he was. That doesn't mean that killing him is romantic. I think it's implied that they died together, Kravitz says. Is that not romantic enough for you? The soldier wrinkles his nose. I suppose, he concedes. But you know, Chiboy likes a happy ending. I'm sentimental. Kravitz laughs at that, like the soldier intended. We're Russian, Kravitz teases. That is a happy ending. The longer the soldier stays out of cryo, 
more complicated the world becomes. Or perhaps not the world, but his perspective on it. His head hurts sometimes. He dreams strange dreams, filled with foreign cities and foreign people. He starts to think about before. He knows he was once something else, and the fact seems to matter more as time goes on. He's not unhappy. He doesn't mind the work. But the idea of being iced again grows increasingly distasteful. He has things he cares about now. He wonders how Kravitz would fare without him, and he's beginning to think about a life made up of more than stolen moments. A few months ago, he wouldn't even be able to fathom, but now... It's like there's something awake in his brain, gnawing on the idea of agency. But these are private thoughts. He knows he would be chastised for voicing them. Perhaps they would recalibrate him. He doesn't even dare tell Kravitz, who he knows would humor him. Reapers have conditioning as well, and the soldier doesn't want to put bones in a tough spot. The soldier goes as far as to talk about warmer weather, coastlines with sandy beaches, leaving for a vacation. Kravitz nods and plays the game with him. Belize, Thailand, New Zealand. The world's a big place, and there's always a demand for their skills. We could leave, the soldier says, tilting his voice to sound teasing. I'll follow you anywhere, Kravitz says, and the soldier wonders if he is telling the truth. It's late night, and the soldier can't sleep. When he tries, his dreams are filled with... Well, he's not sure. He can't remember, but the dreams leave him gasping awake, his heart pounding, his mind unsettled. It's happening more these days. He misses the dead, unflinching slumber he used to have. He scrubs his eyes with his flesh hand wet. Was he crying in his sleep again? This happened a few days ago when he and Kravitz were on a mission. Kravitz woke him up, looking bruised and concerned, and the soldier waved away the concern to conceal the uncertainty he felt. He had dreamed about... He doesn't remember. Who's Loop? The soldier rolls over on his narrow bed. Maybe he'll go wake Kravitz. He doesn't think he's going to do any more sleeping tonight. Maybe Kravitz is asleep and the soldier should be considerate because Kravitz is only human and needs the rest. The soldier wonders when he started thinking of Kravitz's comfort. A few months ago, he would have blithely woken Kravitz up for some entertainment and distraction. He knows that Kravitz wouldn't mind being woken up. Kravitz would blink sleepily and ask if the soldier was all right and would offer to come back to the soldier's room, even though Kravitz would probably get in trouble for disappearing in the middle of the night if he wasn't back by early morning. Having Kravitz crammed against him in his narrow bed sounds nice. It sounds better than lying alone in the dark with his racing thoughts, but the optics of it. There's no good excuse for this. They wouldn't be doing anything physical even, and they're already facing enough scrutiny. The soldier sees the way the other operatives and handlers look at them sometimes. The soldier sighs. He wishes they were somewhere else. Somewhere no one was watching. The soldier scrubs his eyes again and sits up. He's just being melancholy, lying here in the dark. He's going to wake Kravitz up and pretend he's just bored. Ask if Kravitz wants to sit on the roof with him for a bit and smoke, 
and if anyone says anything, the soldier will just pretend he wanted a cigarette enough to bother the boy he sometimes fucks. And if he leans on Kravitz while sitting against the railing, then, well, it's cold. The soldier stands up, quietly pulling on a jacket and changing out of his pajama pants and into a pair of trousers. He slips on his shoes and heads out of his small bedroom. He pauses when he enters the hallway and doubles back to grab the blanket lying across the foot of his bed to take with him. He walks through the halls to the barracks, where Kravitz is presumably sleeping along with the other reapers. There are few people out so late, but the base is never completely quiet. The soldier waves hello and nods at the people walking by and quietly slips into the barracks, squinting in the dark to figure out which blanket-covered lump is Kravitz. The soldier peers at faces, looking for the one most familiar to him, finally finding his boy and kneeling by his bed. He stares at Kravitz for a moment. Bones has long eyelashes, and he looks sweet in his sleep, not anything like a big bad assassin. The soldier pokes his foot. Kravitz's eyes snap open, his hand lunging under his pillow, presumably for the knife underneath. Just me, the soldier whispers. Kravitz relaxes, blinks. Oh, hello, he whispers back. Are we going on a mission? The soldier shakes his head. You want to go smoke on the roof with me? Kravitz's face softens into a smile. You just ran out of cigarettes. Of course not, the soldier whispers, mock outraged. He really didn't. There's a full box of Marbleos on his nightstand. I would never. Kravitz shrugs himself into sitting, swinging his legs off the bed quietly. I'll share, he says. I'm very nice that way. The soldier grins at him. You're my favorite. Kravitz slides silently out of bed, neatly pulling shoes out from underneath his bunk, as well as a dark coat which he pulls on while putting his feet in the shoes. He stands, and the soldier leads him past the rows of other slumbering operatives and empty beds, out of the barracks and through the winding corridors of the base, up the narrow metal staircase to the roof. It's brisk outside. Winter has Leningrad solidly in its grasp, and dark, but the air is fresher than inside the base. And it's nice knowing that it's too late at night for the cameras to pick up any footage beyond shadows, that a later, random operative won't be able to read their lips, won't be able to see them standing too close together. The soldier takes a deep breath. His restless sleep seems further away out here in the cold night air. He steps closer to Kravitz, leans against him, and surreptitiously sticks his hand in Kravitz's left pocket. There's the usual box of cigarettes in there, and the soldier smiles a little as he pulls one out. Kravitz pretends not to notice. The soldier pulls a lighter out of his own pocket and lights a cigarette, taking a drag of smoke and nicotine into his lungs. That's better, he says, stepping closer to Kravitz, leaning against him. Air's too stale in there. You're not cold. I'm never cold, the soldier lies. He's cold all the time, but he'll never admit it. It doesn't impede his functioning, but it's nice to stand against Kravitz's side and leech some warmth from him. It's nice to sometimes have the opportunity to fit himself against Kravitz's side and sleep, 
far away from anyone's prying guys. Oh, the blanket you brought is just for me, then, Kravitz says, and the soldier elbows him. It's for sharing, he says, handing it to Kravitz, because he's only got one hand, the other preoccupied with the cigarette. Kravitz takes the blanket and shakes it out, wrapping part of it around the soldier's shoulders, and the rest of it around his own. There's not much wind tonight, and the shared blanket cape is cozy. The soldier holds it in place with his free hand, taking another drag with the other, exhaling a cloud of smoke. This is nice, he says, looking over the city skyline. The road, the lit windows, the sound of motor cars. It is, Kravitz says, putting an arm around the soldier's waist, leans his head against the soldier's. That's even nicer. The soldier looks at Kravitz. In the dark, it's like Kravitz is a statue chiseled out of marble, still and beautiful against the deep blue of the sky. The soldier wonders how he could ever have thought him merely handsome. The soldier is gripped with a sudden desire to spirit Kravitz away, somewhere where there's no more violence, where nothing could hurt him, nothing could mar his perfect complexion. They live such a dangerous life. There are always bruises on Kravitz's skin, always fading scars. The soldier lost an arm one day, so long ago that he no longer remembers. Someday, the soldier won't be there to prevent the same thing happening to Kravitz. Suddenly, all he can focus on is how fucking fleeting all of this is. It hurts something deep in his chest to think about. It's the same feeling as when he wakes up from his bad dreams. What are you thinking about? Kravitz asks, breaking the silence. The soldier shrugs and looks away. Nothing much, he says and holds his hand with the half-spent cigarette up so Kravitz can put his mouth to it and breathe in, right against the space where the soldier's lips just touched. Here is the last memory the soldier has of Kravitz. The way his mind goes numb, the hands pressing him into the chair, the faraway disappointment of failure his limbs heavy, voices talking, but he can't quite make out what they're saying. His head lulls to the side, and between the cracks of boxes, the piled equipment, the heavy curtains and machinery, the soldier sees the smallest slice of Kravitz, crouched down and silent, his single, visible eye wide. There's a deep, fog pressed over his synapses, his neurons, that the soldier wants to tell him, don't be afraid, and stay there and keep silent. If this is really Kravitz and not a trick of the light, why would Kravitz be here? What would he be watching? The soldier must only be seeing what he wants to see. The soldier feels a vague malaise, a distant regret, he will no longer remember, that the handlers have called his bluff, that he pressed Kravitz hard earlier. The soldier imagines beaches, sunlit cities, a life outside the red room. The shadow and glint that might be Kravitz 
seems to tremble. The soldier is slack against the chair, unable to look away. Sorry, Kravitz, the soldier thinks. Keep the lights on for me. Kravitz is the best reaper they have, and the soldier's too valuable to not use. Maybe they'll work together again. Their track record was impeccable. The soldier won't remember, but Kravitz will. Maybe that will be enough. Rough hand moves his head to face upwards, bright lights, a mechanical whirring. And I don't want to talk about this anymore, Taco says. End of chapter 41